This is the Healthcare Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. No industry, including sick care, can be fixed from inside. For every one hour that they spend on patient care, they're spending up to two hours on EHR data entry. All right, welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast, everyone. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and I'm speaking with Rohan D'Souza, and he's the head of products at Kensai. Rohan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, sir. Tyler, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So today we are talking about how AI can save lives in healthcare and really kind of diving into the nitty gritty of AI. Now, for most people, AI would mean artificial intelligence. But Rohan, we were talking before we started the podcast. Do you want to change maybe some of the terminology and kind of uh, change some of the connotations about how people are thinking about AI? So uh, explain a little bit more about what you mean there and how you would rather not call it artificial intelligence. Yeah, Tyler, thank you so much uh, for that question. I think um, it's safe to say that you can't go too far today, um, really across any industry, but more specifically in healthcare, to confirm the, the amazing opportunity that we have to apply these modern technology breakthroughs around machine learning and artificial intelligence to solve some really complex problem. Uh, the unfortunate thing is the word artificial intelligence just doesn't really sit well uh, in a community of highly skilled uh, and educated um, workforce as we typically interact with in a clinical setting uh, within the healthcare enterprise. So here at Kensai, myself and my colleagues are really on a mission to try to get that uh, definition converted more towards uh, assistive intelligence, uh, really this context of having uh, clinical judgment never be overwritten uh, due to some form of artificial intelligence capability, but really just using the assistiveness in modern day technology in the form of ML to serve as a catalyst and almost a different uh, a difference of opinion or a different opinion at the table to help and assist a clinician to make the right decision. Uh, and that's really what we what we want um, to focus on. It's why we take such a huge stance around interpretable AI, which maybe we can talk uh, about in a little bit. Um, but if we can get the world saying, hey, AI and healthcare is all about being assistive and less of the artificialness, I think we will have less of the robot and scary images uh, that tend to follow most of these articles. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think you're right, because um, I mean, sometimes when I think robot, I think, you know, the Will Smith movie, I, Robot, where they all turn evil and they all turn against people or something like that. But uh, but even even beyond that, into a more real world kind of application, I think a lot of people, when they hear AI, think that that removes, you know, humanity from the equation. And I, I think what you're saying is that that's not at all what you're trying to do. You're trying to bring uh, the the data and the uh, information that we have and compiling it all into usable ways alongside what doctors are already doing so that you can um, it, it frees doctors up to be able to give the best possible care uh, to their patients. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, you, we could think of a simple example, right? Most decisions today uh, when patients are admitted in the hospital, um, there's a combination of um, a research that has been uh, recently surfaced, uh, either through the review of articles or journals. Uh, you also have clinicians that will lean on training uh, that they might have received in different parts of the world, um, all coming down to that decision-making process 
we're essentially proposing the addition of another opinion in that decision-making process. Or if you were to look at it as an engineering problem, another variable, uh, which we which we obviously focus on trying to get to be as accurate as possible. And we can have a whole bunch of discussions around what is the meaning of accuracy as it pertains to machine learning or assistive intelligence. Um, but but with that opportunity of another variable in the in the equation of making a decision on what action to take to try to prevent or um, we believe um, there's there is that opportunity that needs to be surfaced. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're kind of mentioning just the different factors that doctors already you know consider when it goes into making a decision and how AI can really collect a lot of those different factors and kind of uh, synthesize them into one area. So let's just talk about the kind of data uh, that AI uses and what kind of data is required uh, for uh, assistive intelligence to be effective. So what are the kind of things that, uh, that AI is combing through as it, as it is uh, coming alongside in the healthcare system? And, um, and and what kind of data is it collecting? Uh, great question, Tyler. And I think, um, you know, we should all take a, a moment to appreciate the investments that went into um, hospitals purchasing systems of record over the past two decades. Uh, you know, a lot of that um, initial uh, money came from the federal government allow for health systems um, to put in these massive electronic medical records uh, claims processing systems, sort of automated uh, task reminding systems um, through some incentives uh, associated with the Meaningful Use Program. And we're seeing now that that program has really come to the, its quote-unquote end of life, uh, where today we have about 97% of all health systems in the country speaking within the context of the United States. Uh, some countries, in fact, are over uh, at, a, at about 100% of digitalization of their patient records, um, it would be uh, extremely unfortunate if we did not take advantage of that investment that has been made into these systems of record for us to mine the sheer amount of data um, that these systems have captured. So to specifically answer your question, um, most of the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis is leveraging uh, data that is captured in electronic medical records uh, these are your traditional diagnosis information, lab information, uh, various procedures, uh, very rich information about transactions uh, that are happening within a clinical setting. And those data feeds are then augmented with uh, additional sources of information that an organization might have in the form of claims information that comes in from the health plan. You you might get some social determinants of health um, that the organization has captured in the form of questionnaires or risk assessments. Um, And then if you're sophisticated enough where you're actually providing your patients um, or your health system with devices to track data, you know, modern day um, uh, things like the Apple Watch, uh, Fitbit devices, uh, IoT-based sensors, these are all some of the examples of the data sources that we're tapping into. That's really fascinating, and that just seems like uh, a massive amount of data. Um, are hospitals at all uh, having a hard time with the computing power, or is that something that you at Kensai are able to, to kind of help with and provide? Um, well, thank God for the advancements in the cloud and mm, yeah. uh, basically the cost of uh, folks moving to the cloud 
I think the, um, uh, you know, most hospital CIOs today are looking at their investments made in their on-prem um, uh, infrastructure and really looking at the lifespan um, of those purchases and the rack space that that exists. And, uh, you know, the, the going the going uh, or the saying, at least within a healthcare context, is most all health systems are extremely data rich, uh, but they're very information poor. And um, the storage of the data is usually not the problem. Uh, it is the massive amounts of distributed um, computing uh, that's that's needed uh, to turn that data into insights um, at a time uh, at a time span that is not prohibitive to the business to start to take decisions. Right? Hmm. Um, your traditional on-premise infrastructure that might exist today uh, is just not going to cut it with the amounts of parallelized um, machine learning training workload that needs to happen, uh, real-time scoring instances. And thanks to the likes of these large um, cloud providers, you know, we're very connected with Microsoft Azure. Uh, we leverage the Azure cloud for most of our workloads. Um, and we can run uh, things that used to take hours and hours on end within an on-prem um, setup about a couple of years ago to now running a fully trained machine learning uh, network in under um, 60 minutes with scoring on an every, um, you know, five to 10 second basis. Wow. That's, that's really, really impressive. So then how, how do doctors and how do you educate doctors and healthcare providers on the information that they have available and how to use these tools that they have at their disposal um, and make it kind of a, a regular part of their process. Is that something that you, that is, is that something that you engage in is helping them then kind of take these tools and be able to implement them in a way? Yeah. So the, uh, where the rubber hits the road, uh, by the way, fantastic question. I think, um, you know, a lot of the challenge with, uh, with AI and machine learning are really, any innovative technology that you want to deliver to the front lines of care um, is mostly a uh, process transformation approach. Um, technology is just a little component of that, uh, but there's um, a real science and um, there's a real science in solving the problem, but there's more of an art in the delivery of that solution for that problem, which in this case involves uh, really studying the existing workflows. You know, we're talking about users of these uh, insights and predictive insights that don't magically have an additional couple minutes um, in their day, let alone a couple hours to start looking at analytical uh, outputs. So wherever possible, um, we convert our messaging to be extremely transparent. Uh, when a machine learning model is making a recommendation around why we think this person would benefit from a different care pathway, or why we believe that this person has an associated risk of readmission, we present that information in a very easy, easily consumable, interpretable, and interrogative way. So the clinician on the other side that's consuming the data is not questioning the integrity of the result um, and getting some amount of transparency and explanation attached to that actual result. Um, the deployment of it is just slowly ramping them on um, onto this onto the solution, and it isn't like um, you know, hey, we're going to turn on the switch and tomorrow it's going to be the silver bullet to all of your problems. Um, we try to squash that myth very very early on and convince folks that this is this is a solution that you have to be deeply committed to um, and be in it for the long run, and um, and that's a tough thing 
especially when you have razor thin margins and uh, fairly lofty uh, ROI metrics that you're going after. Yeah, absolutely. Now, part of what I think about when I think about AI is, you know, taking all of the data from the past and synthesizing it in a way that then tries to predict uh, risk for the future. Is that something that's happening in healthcare where you look at uh, someone's history of health and comparing that with comparable um, patients that have had similar ailments and then projecting forward that a certain number of these people have also gone on to deal with this ailment or something along those lines? Yeah, you you hit it right on the head, Tyler. I mean, the majority of what uh, we do is um, this process of learning from uh, previous data uh, sources and previous data assets uh, and using those learnings to then simulate uh, what would happen uh, in a test scenario, right? So uh, the way we inter- uh, interact with our customers is we come in with repeatable assets that we have deployed at locations uh, all across the world, uh, but with no guarantee that that particular solution is going to work exactly the same way uh, as it did in central Indiana, if now we're in Singapore, right? So the, um, the ability for us to take a machine learning model and have the model learn from the data assets that are localized to that particular deployment or that particular customer will then shape the model uh, to be very hyper-localized um, to that instance of that customer. And then the prediction results will be far more representative around uh, the the type or the shape uh, or the persona or the characteristics of uh, episodes in patients that that health system is likely to see. Wow, that is... Um... That's fascinating, just how how you're able to localize it and and things of that nature. That, uh, to me, just kind of blows me away. Now, you mentioned earlier just how quickly this can be implemented. Um, Do healthcare organizations typically uh, have concerns about um, how easy this is to implement? And, you know, how do you answer those questions? So the the one unfortunate thing um, that we run into uh, with most, um, you know, with most healthcare uh, data-dependent solutions um, is healthcare is inundated with uh, what we in the analytics world call uh, dirty data. Um, health systems and systems of records uh, were never really created for analytical. You know, take, for example, retail, uh, where things are functioning very well, where the unit of measurement is either the unit sold or um, you know, what did, it, what did it cost, right? Healthcare is deeply uh, semantic heavy. Um, there, are, there are standards, but the unfortunate thing is there are way too many standards. So oftentimes we spend a whole bunch of time doing what we internally joke around as calling data janitorial work um, by spending a lot of time cleansing the data uh, to get it ML ready. Uh, so we, we start off most projects by saying, Uh, Data is oftentimes ML aware, but is almost never ML ready. Uh, We spend a bunch of time getting the data to the point where we can start to make some sense sense off it. Yeah, absolutely. That that makes sense just because what one doctor, I suppose terminology can be different in certain areas and certain places. And like you mentioned earlier, uh, the way that somebody might write something or catalog, catalog something in Indiana might be different than if it's in Thailand or the Philippines or something like that. Is that is that kind of something that you would run into? 
Yeah, I mean, um, we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the access to uh, while there are specific practices that are unique to the region, um, the ability to extract as much, quote unquote, structured or semi-structured data versus completely unstructured data um, is different no matter where you go, right? You'll, you'll go around the world and you'll hear of these hospitals using electronic medical records, uh, but depending on where you go, uh, an EMR just might be a bastardized word for a for a word document, right? Just because it's digital doesn't mean you can extract any sense from it unless you are a fancy NLP company. So uh, fortunately for us here um, in the U.S. and thanks to standards that are being pushed um, even on the international, um, uh, um, you know, certification governments, uh, governments that are in place, um, there are standardizations that exist with diagnosis coding, with procedure coding, with medications. Um, it's the enforcement of the standards that can be pretty lax depending on where you go. Right, right. Absolutely. So where do you see this continuing to grow in the future, just as we continue to experience more and more of assistive intelligence uh, coming into the healthcare space? Where do you see it growing the most and what areas uh, are out there that you still want to tackle? Well, there's been some, um, you know, fantastic work that is happening uh, around drug discovery uh, around really uh, targeted, um, uh, you know, drug delivery, uh, image uh, image scanning, the ability to assist radiologists to identify abnormalities in image scans. Um, all of those things are just absolutely fantastic. Um, and it gives me, you know, great pleasure to be a part of that community, to know that, hey, you know, when I walk out of the office every day, day the software that uh, people like myself, my colleagues, and other companies that are working on could really save my life and my loved one's life is just is just absolutely amazing. From our perspective, um, you know, we see a real opportunity in taking out the mundane operational tasks that just inundate uh, health systems today. Uh, things around planning for proper discharges, uh, the ability to identify uh, opportunities for better care management as it pertains to patients in a chronic condition state, um, the ability to automate certain tasks around, um, hey, when should I alert um, a provider that something might go wrong with this patient? And if yes, when will it happen? And if when, uh, why, will it, why, why do we believe that it will happen at that time? So we're focused on what we call as the low-hanging fruit, the non-crazy rocket science stuff, Attached to uh, machine learning that you hear of uh, happening in the you know in the um, uh, deep learning community, uh, we're really focused on can we bring value and can we measure ROI and success with our customers uh, in a matter of six to twelve months um, and really set them on a path for transforming the status quo or challenging the status quo of their organization. Uh, towards being more of a data-driven Absolutely. Well, I, I love what you said about it being uh, rewarding to think about uh, the work that you're doing, you know, saving the lives of your friends and family and things like that, and just how um, special of a thing that is to get to be a part of. So that's really exciting stuff. Uh, Rohan D'Souza, uh, Head of Products at Kensai. Thank you so much for uh, joining me here on the podcast today, Rohan. Thanks again, Tyler. 